You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode number 39 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming and Liam Curley. How's things today with you, Curls? Yeah, they're great, Paul, but uh, I've been concerned. Here we go. Um, I heard through the grapevine that you've been in London buying crisp sandwiches for £10 a sandwich. Is you know, this, have you lost your mind? <laughs> Listen, every every once in a while, there's a little bit of you know, a little like a gizmo, you know, some kind of gimmick going on in London, and I get swept up in the euphoria. I was in King's Cross, I saw a shop selling crisp sandwiches, and I thought, you know, I'll go back to my childhood here. Turns out it was ten pounds. So yeah, I feel feel like it was a expensive sandwich, but I, I enjoyed it. So what's your problem? God. How many times have you done this? I've done it once on my own and then once, once with my girlfriend. Twice. twice. But, but she's so Italian. Only, she's Italian. So, I'm going right. to give her a slice of English okay, culture. Okay, no, that, that turned a lot, right? Because <laughs> you could put that down to, oh, it turned out it was £10, but then you went back and bought another one. She was paying the second time. Then. I'll she sell you one for £8 if you're interested. No, 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 just because of your attitude. There's absolutely no, no, no chance I've given you my money. <laughs> You've had enough of it. Um, but anyway, girls, we could talk about crisp sandwiches forever. Trust me, I've got plenty of uh, conversation points on that. But we're here to talk about something quite different. And today, our episode is titled Using AI to Manage Project Risks. And we are joined by Dev Amratia, who is co-founder and CEO at Nplan, which is a business that uses AI to learn from previous projects how we can better deliver current or future projects welcome to the show dev thank you thanks for having me paul and liam all right dev good to see you it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you dev apart from the fact that we're all sat in miserable london or macclesfield in liam's case and i understand where are you where are you sat right now <laughs> i'm i'm south of the equator in yeah, Lusaka, exactly. zambia where it's uh it's toastingly hot yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, it's much more fun being there, I imagine, than being in cold, grey, miserable London. So good luck to you out there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dev, for the sake of our listeners, for the sake of Liam and myself, could you introduce yourself, your business? Yeah, for sure. I'll start with uh, myself. So I, uh, yeah, I, I serve as the chief executive to Nplan. Prior to that, uh, I have a background in project delivery where I spent nine years at Shell in some god-awful parts of the world managing large construction projects. Um, you don't find uh, oil and gas in in nice cushy centres like London uh, where you can get grab a crisp, san- crisp sandwich uh, oh, on your lunch break. <laughs> you had to get um, it in <laughs> as well, didn't you? <laughs> Uh, sadly, we have to. Uh, my, most of my career involved slumming it out uh, in either deserts or art- Arctic tundras or in the middle of the ocean. Um, but wait a minute, are you telling me that on when you're in those locations, you don't have the home comfort of a crisp sandwich? That's that's where I'd be <laughs> heading for my lunch. Yeah, but he's got to make his own crisp sandwich. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's tough. It's correct, tough. It's tough. Yeah, uh, there aren't aren't too many creature comforts out there. <laughs> 
but what it did really teach me when I was out there was delivering these projects is uh, no mean feat. Uh, in fact, it was nearly impossible to do them to time and budget, and that really got my, my gears turning um, what I might be able to do about it. In between my career at Shell and, and starting Nplan, I did a, you could call it a sidestep in my career. Some people actually call it a misstep in my career, where I became a special advisor to the previous British Prime Minister, Theresa May. So I helped her with emerging technology strategy. Uh, and specifically, I helped write the UK's national strategy on artificial intelligence, which is a really cool way of like sort of stepping away from uh, the gnarly construction sites I remember being on and getting this, you could call it, helicopter view of policy making and how, how do you move an entire nation forward um, in its use of AI. And, and that was where the two worlds started coming together for me. I started to see, oh wow, there's this huge opportunity using machine learning in all sorts of different sectors. And I've seen how hard it was to deliver projects to time and budget. Why don't we bring these two things together and hence the formation of Nplan uh, nearly four years ago. So to what Nplan does, we are a forecasting company. We can produce a, a forecast of how long a construction project is probably going to take, what might go wrong with it, what opportunities there are with it. And we do that using past learning, how previous construction projects performed that we have access to their data from. So the product is a, a product that helps provide assurance to, to large projects all around the world. And it's by now, I mean, four years in, we've now processed just over half a million projects have been through the system. It represents $1.2 trillion in capital has run through wow. Remplan's engine by now, which is, which is by, by quite a long margin, the largest volume of project data held anywhere on the planet on what was planned and then what actually happened to those projects. So we know a thing or two about how construction projects turn out. I bet you do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. That was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was with AI, with machine learning, I guess the data set and having core data to build from is really, really important part of the process. So how are you, how are you getting that data? From which projects are you, are you able to get data? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. And, and obviously Nplan was nothing uh, until we were able to get some data and then it was still nothing until we were able to get enough data and some the diff the, the delta between some data and enough data was was actually a gargantuan amount um, that we totally underestimated and uh, to clarify enough data means that a machine learning algorithm is is sufficiently fed in order for it to learn so where do we get the data from we get it it's quite simply from our customers um, it's a pay-to-play service offering that Nplan has which means it's like we go to our customer and say, hey, if you want our algorithms to provide you with assurance, you're going to have to share all of your historical schedule data with, with us. And at first they're quite nervous, understandably so. Um, but later it's sort of a two-parted pressure system that like helps make the case. Like part one of the pressure system is, well, I've got a really big problem here that I don't know how long my projects take and some of them take really, really long. And I would love a system that anything to try and help me solve this problem. And if that means I have to make a little, take some risk in giving out this data, then yeah, you know, the, the win, the prize is big enough. That's part one. And then part two is, is well, at least here in the UK or in the, in the large heavy infrastructure environments, we have a lot of data already that represents most of the market. So if you're 
a contractor or an owner that's not in the system, there is this competitive force that pulls you towards it, which is like everyone else is on it, but you're not. So do you want to really get left behind? Um, uh, obviously, that is only now starting to play out. Um, that never really worked in the early days. Yeah, no, I can imagine it's a chicken and so egg thing to some extent. Yeah, there's a tipping point, yeah, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and so to dumb things down a little bit, because AI and machine learning can seem like a big headline topic, if you like. And I can, and what when you talk about AI and machine learning, can you just talk about what that is and how you are actually applying it to construction projects in simple layman's terms? M- machine learning is basically the tool we use in order to learn how previous projects operated or performed in, 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 across our data set. In a sense, the best, the best analogy I can think of is imagine, like, take yourself back uh, to when you were a baby and you were learning about the world that you live in. And, and the way us humans have learned almost everything we know today is this rapid assumption execution correction loop. So a simple one would be touching a hot pan. If it's red, you, you don't know initially, and then you touch it and you're like, ah, that was really hot. Uh, so your assumption is it's not hot. You touch it, oh shit, it was red, it's hot. I've now created a, I will never touch a red hot pan again, right? And if you extrapolate that, call it learning loop uh, that people have been doing f- forever and extrapolate that into the construction industry, what happens is we plan projects. So we make assumptions, we say, we assume we will do these activities for this long in the sequence and then you do it uh, and you're like oh bugger it wasn't actually 15 days to pour concrete it was like two and a half months to pour that concrete and then so the next time you do the another project you'll say aha i've remembered my assumption correction loop and then apply your learning the problem with that learning system is it takes really long it it could take five years before you've like figured out that the assumption you made five years ago is no longer valid and and then try and apply it again in which con in which case maybe the context has changed and your learning is not particularly relevant so what algorithms can do is they can rapidly accelerate that learning process by saying i'll just go read all the data that has been recorded in the past and learn that assumption correction loop of what was planned and what actually happened across millions of projects, which is something that us people would, you know, it's just too tenacious. That kind of work is too tenacious for us uh, to possibly try and execute. You you don't achieve that in in a full career in construction. No, no, probably not. Probably. If if you're doing, if you're doing, say, a project a year, the maximum you're probably doing is 40 projects in your lifetime. You learn a load of different things over that process. But it's, it's that pure data set isn't it and having multiple data to tap into because I saw that you um, there was an article about Nplan and yourself in the Times actually and when you were a project manager at Shell um, you had grown frustrated with the guesswork is how, how you put it around around programs and kind of that example that you were using before of I think it's going to take 15 days to pour that slab and it actually takes you two and a half months is that really what drove you to want to change the sector yes um but perhaps what so it was like the pain i was feeling in the field was this guesswork slash firefighting um mode of operation and it's like 
I looked at my manager and my manager was a better guest worker and better firefighter than I was. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly aspirational career growth here. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but it, it was also this like recognition of the commercial pain that was going on. So it's like the fact that we were guessing and not getting it quite right. I, I also saw like how painful that was commercially for the business, right? When, when some of the projects I worked on were, you know, were not delivered to time or budget, you know, these were millions of dollars a day that were being like in LEDs, I guess. Right, you're just lighting them on fire and, and setting them off, right? Um, yeah. So, combine these two things, like where you feel the pain on in your day-to-day work, and then you also see like the impact that pain has. Absolutely, and and I understand now in headline like your purpose and and what you're doing. But could we or could you describe? A bit more specifically, how then Endplan will work and how AI can reduce and can identify project risks and then help you to reduce them. Yeah, sure thing. So what the system will do is a, a project schedule that for a project that's under analysis. It's typically it's fairly early days in the project. They're like, we want to build a railway and it's going to go from London to Manchester to take a plug at um, the, big, <laughs> uh, the big fish in, in the UK. Uh, that project will have will come in the project schedule will come into Nplan. Um, it'll it'll go through our forecasting engine, which can take a couple of hours to generate its forecast. What happens from there is that a a target end uh, a probabilistic duration of the project will be displayed on the screen to the to the user that's logged in. And At that point, heart attacks, heart attacks happen, <laughs> and people start falling off their chairs and thinking, "What? what? This yes, can't be or, right. Or, or, we can't tell anyone this." <laughs> correct. Yes, that that, and and because we know that happens, and it's somewhat a regular feature, um, <laughs> we then tell them what they could do about it. Um, okay. So we go into, we can dive all the way down into the gnarly details that hey, that concrete slab that you're pouring on this day has this probability of creating this overrun. And here are some recommendations to help you not see that uh, bad thing happen. So in effect, it, it, it starts a game. It's sort of like, if you do nothing, this is the bad bad that you could end up with. But here are some pro tips on like what you might be able to do to get that not to happen. And then an iterative process of the project teams working with the system to try and figure out, well, so if we don't do it that way and try and do it this way instead, how would that turn out? And you do get a bit of whack-a-mole effects running. But... The, each iteration allows the project team to get to increasing certainty or of an outcome or accelerating the project if 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 that's what their business requirements require need from them amazing yeah i can I can totally see how that would work did you, did you want to jump in there liam i see I saw you flexing your muscles huh um, <laughs> yeah no, I was going to ask how granular does the suggested solution get in a particular you could pick an example but it, it, it's as granular as the project schedule give, uh, allows us to go. So most production schedules for projects that are ready for execution will have, I mean, an excruciating level of detail to them. And we can go to that. I mean, the analysis is happening at that detail. So if the user wants to get to that level, they can. Uh, we don't always encourage them to do that because you could get... Yeah, I mean, some of these big projects can have 100,000 activities in their schedule. And so do you want 100,000 forecast end date graphs with all their network effects running into each piece? It's like, whoa. 
Um, but sometimes, you know, depending on what, what's going on, they, they could choose to deep dive if they so choose to. Awesome. Well, look, this is an interesting uh, foundation into the conversation. And let's dive into a little bit more detail right after this break. Own to Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors, automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So, Dev, I was snooping around, as I do often before I speak to uh, interested people like yourselves, and um, you wrote a really interesting article on LinkedIn about the future of contracting from your perspective. Could you talk about that article and what inspired you to, to pen it? Yeah, what inspired me to pen it is a conversation that I still remember uh, from when I was at Shell with a contractor that we were working with. And the, the very brief synopsis of that conversation was uh, we were extremely late on the project and I sat down with the contractor and was like, hey, listen, you know, we're, things are really bad right now. It doesn't matter what has already happened and what led, led us to here. Let's reset and just tell me how long you think this thing would take and what we need to do together to get to the end. Right? Clean break. Let's go from here. Just don't hold anything back. If you think there's a, you're worried about something, just let it out, man. Like money is not the problem anymore. Just let let's just do this. And, okay. and we had. I a, think we've all been there, haven't we? I love it. it. It felt great at the time. It was like, yeah, we're like one team. Uh, I think we even had those posters on the wall that you see on loads of construction sites, right? A little bit of a cuddle, one team, pats on the back. Um, <laughs> one team, one project. Uh, I think that was our slogan that I've seen repeatedly now. What ended up happening, so we did that, we had a reset, but what ended up happening was that more things went wrong that they just didn't tell me about. And I was like, why Why didn't you tell me that, you know, that there was no way we were going to be able to test all those electrical loops? And And what effectively was happening was that they just didn't have a way of estimating how much risk they were about to take. And there was plenty of optimism bias and there is a huge amount of pressure in the market to basically create single point certainty of an outcome. That means you are contracted based on the fact that you have to deliver to this price to this date in the future. Now, anything in the future is probabilistic. Like, how long is it going to take me to drink my glass of water in one hour is a probabilistic range. I cannot tell you to the second how long it'll take. It's impossible. Yet contracts are laid out deterministically. You must deliver by this point or you must see this outcome happen. So the thing that got me thinking was like, well, how this can't be the way that we contract. Like, you know, we, we know that the industry is broken in that lump sum contracts don't lead to price certainty for the owner who's procuring. It's just a total fallacy that that is the case. And fixed uh, or time reimbursable contracts create 
no further no, you know are, are the exact opposite of that as well in that you, you no one is ever winning inside either mode and these hybrid contracts that have been introduced like the nec type contracts that we see on our large infrastructure projects still don't answer the question of what amount of risk is truly being transferred from one party to the other and who owns what risk uh, ultimately i believe that that's what a contract actually is trying to do it is a means and mechanism to take quantified and measured risk and place it into the right party and when the neither party knows what risk they're taking you're basically signing just a random document that means nothing right and is probably quite destructive actually to value so i i wrote that article on the basis that i have this real passion to believe that the future of contracting will be one where both parties have a view of the the risks in front of them and they'll have an adult conversation about these risks belong on this side these risks belong on this side and these are the risks that we don't yet know how how to allocate but we recognize they exist and then the contract becomes an incentive mechanism to mitigate risk and capture opportunity which in the end is actually the thing you want to see happen on con- on project delivery right because to say you want things cheaper better faster is a very naive world sometimes that's not actually the right answer some you just need in commercial estates for example or the oil and gas world the thing that makes money is certainty not cheaper because cheaper sometimes might mean you you've sort of ended up on the op- opposite side of an arbitrage market as yeah, a well, specific th- example i think that's absolutely clear and i think it's not just in the oil and gas markets or the other markets that you mentioned it's the same in the sme market developers who are doing 10 20 50 units they want certainty as well they want to know when they're exiting when they're going to market with their property so it's absolutely the same everyone i completely endorse what you're saying and the passion for a recalibration or a rethink of how we actually contract in construction because it seems to me like where we are now is how can i shove risk away from me as as far as possible and in a way that isn't a clear or b actually beneficial to the overall project and to the the success of the project and the mitigation of the risk and the grasping of the opportunity so i completely see that how does ai fit in with that does it fit in with that do you see it working alongside a recalibration of how we contract yeah yeah it very much does um in the sense that AI is that impartial third party to what's probably going to happen here. If you're the owner or the contractor, you will have some entrenched views of your perception of risk and outcomes uh which are which are okay to be held, but you need arbitration. You need someone or something to tell you Paul, you think this, Liam, you think that, actually based on all of this data and all of this analysis this is the most probable thing that could happen and then you set contracts from there which makes total sense to me when you're not in a competitive tender when you're on a negotiated contract where you're saying okay i'm going to work with you you're going to work with me we've agreed that now let's iron out the issues what about how do you see it playing out at tender stage though where you've got three people with three different visions on the risk profile of the job on the commercials of the project how does AI, do you see what I mean? How does it sit in there? I'm, I'm struggling to grasp, trying to think about how it would actually fit, do you see? Because those that's kind of how the competitive tendering world works is different risk profiles are applied by different people and 
someone is selected effectively. Yeah. So it, 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 it's probably not as collaborative uh, as the first mode, but it is uh, a mode of uh, create information um, or, or reduce an information asymmetry. So if you're the procurer or the owner of the client, uh, you want to know which contractor out of the three or six uh, is the one that can offer you the most certainty. Again, a machine can tell you that um, and you don't need your gut instincts or you don't need a consultant to tell you that now. If you're the contractor, you are now putting your, you know, uh, if, you're, if, if it becomes highly aggressive in the contract in, during the tender stage, you want to know how much risk can you take into your business. Uh, you know, you sign that, yeah, we'll do it in a year, no problem. We just need to win this one. We all, we all know how that turns out when contractors do that systemically. So, and, and, and there is a new category, which is actually creating a differentiation for a contractor in the work winning setting. So in a competitive tender, can, and we do this actually with um, uh, Kia Group, um, across their infrastructure in highways markets and, and, and a few other markets as well now, where Kia uses Nplan to convince their clients that they're not bullshitting them in <laughs> weird words. Um, yeah. Effectively, they're telling, telling their client, look, we're using this technology to be forward-minded and forthcoming with you about even though we're not the cheapest and fastest, we are the ones that can offer you certainty and that certainty commands a premium. And so that will has won them work uh, in some cases. In some cases, the client's like, no, I'm not interested. I just want the cheap guy. And then we all know what's going to happen there. So um, we think it's a matter of time uh, that more that clients ca catch up, but it's, it's inevitable. Yeah, that is understood. And that kind of leads me on to, segues me on to the SME world, because I always feel like, I know Liam feels exactly the same, that the SME world is already always playing catch-up with the Tier 1s, the Kias and, and the like on the big projects where there's all of this brain, there's all this thinking going on and there's all of this data now being captured. Great, it sounds like it's an amazing thing what you're doing and it's changing and shifting people's mentalities. How do you see it for, how do you see AI and your products or similar products for SMEs? Is it something that can easily translate down or is that so much more fragmented that gathering the data, harvesting the data, and then using the data makes it more more difficult proposition? Um, it, it does, there, there is a complexity to the, the harvest process, which is sort of like why we as Nplan have started at the, at the very large contractors and very large owner operators, because there's there is just a cost to trying trying to acquire this information. We we totally see the the world's shifting, right? Like for instance, in the in the heavy infrastructure environments in the UK, we are now moving down the down the the tiering, right? And you start to find more nimble contractors uh, or more nimble operators saying, you know, we'd also like to get to upskill to like move up a level and, and be able to outcompete these organizations. And actually, I think there's a really healthy tension that can be created in the market. Like, I, I slightly disagree with what one thing you said, which is that the SMEs are always one step behind or, or looking up towards the tier ones. I actually think that SMEs can create a more competitive market by actually being able to specifically demonstrate, look, look how good we are at doing this. And, you know, that specific 
part creates a niche which creates an opportunity and i have a specific example of that in in the world of building data centers we we see which contractors and the, the answer is not the large tier ones but actually the specific niche ones are actually way better at executing these projects than than the large the large ones that do everything right and that actually creates levels the playing field in many ways it actually says sme versus you know large goliath the data is proving that you are the sme are the better party to execute this project and sure the goliath will have better marketing and i don't know it's stuff like that right but uh, i'd rather see that uh, the best party wins dev um so just to to be clear so if you're an sme right now and you have a five million pound residential project say five ten million pounds can you use mplan can you is is it is the is the product suitable right now not right now no um okay. we are our, our sort of minimum minimum threshold is 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 probably at the the five to ten million mark and it's not so, there's a yes and a no, sorry, to, to your question. If your project, you can be an SME and building a 20 million up project, then yes, you can be an SME and you know all you do is fix potholes uh, for 10 grand a pothole. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then the answer is Well, that's is good no. money. <laughs> um, no. But if you had, uh, I don't know, uh, 12, uh, a lot of our listeners might have 12 units, apartments, things like that. Could they use mplan or not not just yet so in in theory they could in theory they could but th there isn't that much value that get out of it um the system is intrinsically designed to be your, your best friend when things get excessively complex so for as long as a competent project manager or a competent planner scheduler can see the whole thing in front of them the amount of value that mplan starts creating is starts is is, is somewhat diminished and we've had these experiments where we've done it on these projects and then the planning and project management team are like, well, you're just telling us everything we already know. And I was like, nah, that's <laughs> not bad, but yeah, sure. You know, uh, that's just not, not valuable enough, uh, I would say. Okay. And so where do, you, where do you see the technology in the future? How, how do you see things playing out in five to 10 years time with the technology? Do you see it being market-wide? Uh, and plans technology, that is? Yeah. Yes, so I, I, I do think we'll see new markets appear. So you call it uh, the SME small scale worlds will start appearing. We'll cover a larger diversity of projects. I would say that's probably in the like the one to three year span rather than five to ten. In the in the four four plus years upwards, um, we actually see contracting dynamics changing. Uh, we're working on new contract models. We're working on finance products uh, centered around what we're doing. So, for instance, in next year, we, we're, we're planning to launch um, an insurance product to cover against project overruns and paying out for liquidated damages. And basically, all of these moves are all geared to rewire this, uh, the, the conversation we had earlier around the broken nature of contracting. We think that if we as NPLAN using our technology have a strong part to play in, in that, not only will it improve the industry, but it, you know, it also puts us in a, in a really strong position to be that, the, the orchestrator of, of change. The catalyst for it. Well, I, abs I absolutely love that because for so long, 
I have felt on the contracting side of things, and I'm, I don't think I stand alone there in that, um, that it's, it's a broken and flawed system that we have and it needs to be improved. And the problem I have always felt is the fragmented nature of the sector is that you go out, you do your project, you keep it to yourself. You go out, you do your project, and you keep it to yourself. And what I can see with what you guys are effectively delivering, where you're actually asking to pull this data set and bring it all together and understand all the different issues and challenges that we as a sector and an industry have, I can certainly see how that could then be a uh, catalyst for some change. Sounds very, very interesting, Dev, and it has been a... Um, absolute pleasure to to have you on the show i feel like we could talk for a lot longer but these episodes are only quite short so thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me guys absolutely fascinating yeah really great to have you dev so we will be putting um a link to end plan in the uh podcast description put a little bit about dev in there as well so thank you so much for coming on dev and uh i will speak to you soon liam and dev i'm sure we will speak again shortly in the future thank you Catch you later. Cheers, guys. Thank you.